Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I wonder what secret you're holding this morning. And you come here and you look fine. You all look very spiritual, actually. But I wonder if really you come and you've got a secret, and the secret is a broken heart. And maybe you've come and the dreams that you had have fallen to the ground. And you feel very disappointed. And we all carry secrets. I did read the story, however, or heard the story, about a spy. And he was sent out by the American agency. And he was to go to a small village in Ireland. And he was given the password or the secret code, and it was... It's fine this morning, but it'd be lovelier this evening. So he went to a little village in Ireland, and he was trying to find this spy called Murphy. So he went to the bar, and he said to the man, I'm looking for a man called Murphy. And he said, do you mean Murphy the farmer? Well, he's down the road. He's on the right, about two kilometers down there. Or do you mean Murphy the bootmaker? And he's got that little shop across there. And he said, by the way, my name's Murphy. <laughs> and so the man went away, the spy went away, and he thought, he came, got a jug of beer, and he said, it's lovely, it's nice this morning, but it'd be lovelier tonight. He said, oh, you mean Murphy the spy? He lives in the next street. <laughs> you know? And we all have these kind of... Uh, secrets that we carry, but we have something this morning. We're going to talk about something. And very often, ladies and gentlemen, we look fine, but deep down, we're very sad. And we wear a mask sometimes because we feel that it's not expected of Christians, but we're thinking today of that of disappointment. And I wonder if you're disappointed this morning. I want to take as the springboard and text for our consideration a reading in Job chapter 19. And we are following through on the series, Watch Your Step. But as the basis, I want to take just a few verses and then a lot of the verses will come up on the screen as we go through. So Job, and this book may be one of the oldest books in the world, so we're told by scholars, and Job is replying to a so-called friend, a man called Bildad. And it says, Job spoke again. How long will you torture me? How long will you try to crush me with your words? You've already insulted me ten times. You should be ashamed of treating me so badly. Even if I've sinned, that is my concern, not yours. You think that you're better than I, using my humiliation as evidence of my sin, but it is God who has wronged me, capturing me in his net. I cry out help, but no one answers me. I protest, but there's no justice. God has blocked my way so that I cannot move. He has plunged my path into darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. He has demolished me on every side, and I am finished. And so the story 
Praise God. In Time magazine, this year, 6th of February, there's an article by a woman called Susan Levy. And the article is entitled, How Secrets Keep Us Sick. And as part of it, she says that she's always lied. She said even as a little girl, she would lie all the time. And sometimes she was caught out and sometimes she wasn't. But she said, I'd been lying to myself about why I drank in the first place. I never let myself admit how scared I felt at 16 or 24 or 26. I was ashamed of having feelings, so I buried them. And sometimes as good Christian women and good Christian men, we know what is expected of us and we hide our feelings and when we feel disappointed with other people, Christians, we hide that disappointment. And sometimes we feel disappointed with God and we hide that disappointment. We just bury them. Last week I read a book by Max Licato. He has a great imagination and I quite enjoy his books usually. And the story that I found interesting as I read it just a few days ago, he says he went and he was talking to a Christian bookshop owner and he said to Max Lakato, he said, a lady came into my shop and she got one of your books, she had one of your books in her hand and she slammed it on the desk and she said, my God doesn't have pimples. And Lakato said, well, I sort of knew what she was getting at. And he said, I knew the paragraph that had put the spark in her tinderbox, and it reads like this. Jesus may have had pimples. He may have had, he may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him or vice versa. It could be that his knees were bony. One thing's for sure. He was, while completely divine, completely human. And sometimes we forget that our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we gather this morning, was as human as you and me, even though he was always God. 100% God, 100% human. That is the mystery of godliness. And then Lakato makes a comment. There's something safe about a God who never had calluses, who never felt pain, but there's also something cold about a God who cannot relate to what you and I feel. And as we gather this morning, we can remember that our Lord understands how you feel. And you come this morning and maybe you do feel sad and you feel disappointed and you feel frustrated in whatever it is. You don't have to hide it because our Lord understands. And we have a couple of verses which I think are coming up on the screen. Yep. They're on the screen, and I can't, we don't have one in front of me today. But anyway, you find that our Lord talks about his feelings. And I'll turn around so I can read it from this screen. In John 6, our Lord said, Now remember, our Lord was as human as you and me. And he had been speaking to his disciples, and they found it very hard. His teaching was very, very hard. And at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. 
Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you also going to leave? His best friends, are they going to leave him? And even now, 2,000 years later, we can hear the disappointment in his voice. And there are a number of occasions like this. We find John 13, for example, Jesus was deeply troubled and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. I mean, they're all his best friends. He had 12 of them. And they had been with him and he had spoken with them and he had taught them and he had comforted them and he had challenged them and he had commissioned them. But one of them would actually betray him. And even now we can hear the disappointment in his voice. The disciples looked at each other wondering whom he could mean. I mean, no one stood out. We heard the other day about Judas Iscariot. He didn't stand out. He was a reliable man. He looked after the money of that little apostolic, of that little discipleship band. Now, of course, I don't need to define for you exactly what disappointment is, but I have anyway some kind of definition, and that is that it is sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. And a number of synonyms, that is, Words, different words with similar meanings. Disillusionment, dismay, sadness, let down, frustration. And even though we're talking about watching our step to make sure that we don't slip and fall and lose that joy in Jesus, we look to the Old Testament as an example of somebody who was very dangerously close to having his steps slip. And we think of Job. And that's why I'm talking about it. The first thing that I'd like you to notice is that Job was disappointed with people. And I wonder if that describes you. You may even be dis uh, disappointed with a Christian friend. If something has happened and you're disappointed. And as you go through that chapter, Job chapter 19, as he's replying to Bildad, you actually find he feels, remember we're talking about feelings and not hiding feelings, he feels troubled and he feels crushed and he feels insulted and he feels abandoned and he feels isolated and he feels forgotten. He's rejected and he's despised and he's de detested. That's how he feels. One of the interesting things about this chapter is that we see Job at one of the lowest points of his life, but we'll also discover it's one of the highest points of his life as well. He not only talks about how he feels, but he talks about the people who've abandoned him. And again, it's Bildad. He's talking now to Bildad. He had four friends, and you read about them, and they're so they're kind of protagonists. They're kind of almost like enemies, but they're called friends, and Bildad was one of them. And Bildad had abandoned him. He says that everyone had. And then he finds that his relatives had and his family and his servants and his maids and his wife had... I remember the first time I noticed the phrase in verse 17 and it said, my breath is odious to my wife. I thought, ooh, that's sad. You know. <laughs> but anyway, and young children. And no wonder, he says, when you come to chapter 30, depression haunts my days. He's a man of God. 
you come to the beginning of the book of Job and you find that he's very caring about his family. He has pastoral care for his family. Every week he makes sure that they're walking with God and he himself is walking with God. And you probably know the back, or you possibly would know the background to the story that Satan comes and he has a proposition and that is he'll tempt Job. Because Job only does these things because God honors him, because God has given him money because God seems to smile upon him, afflict him and see what he thinks there. So he's very depressed and he feels very, very sad. And one of the difficulties, ladies and gentlemen, when we feel like that is that we can change our own attitude and we respond in a way that is not becoming, not the kind of person that we want to be, and you find that too as you go through the book of Job and it says, I am mocked by people younger than I, by young men whose fathers are not worthy to run with my sheep dogs. You know, and so he's a man, he's under pressure and when you're under pressure, the obvious reaction is to lash back somehow. Someone has said that beware when you're fighting dragons that you don't become a dragon yourself. And sometimes when we're going through times and we feel low, we feel depressed, we feel sad, we feel disappointed, we lash out verbally or in some sad cases, physically. Now, I mentioned before that Job had four friends and they don't seem to be friends, these are protagonists, it says, but Job isn't the only person who's ever felt that way. I mean, you felt that way, I felt that way, and as you go through the Bible, you find that people felt that way too. Here are the words of King David, the one we preach about, the one whom we admire. And he said, even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food has turned against me best friend, turned against him. And even our blessed Lord himself, the Holy One, Matthew 26, and you know the scenario, the traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Jesus said, my friend, Notice that? He's not lashing back. He's a man. He knows he's betraying him. The very throes of selling him for a few pieces of paltry pieces of silver. And he says, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. Watch your step. You see, the problem's not disappointment because we all have disappointing days and disappointments that happen in life, whether it's family, whether it's health, whether it's finances, whether it's job, you name it. We all have disappointments in life. The danger is not disappointment. The danger is what it leads to. Because you see, sometimes, friends, it leads to discouragement. Is that you? Sometimes it leads to doubt. Is that you? And sometimes it leads to self-pity. Is that me? And even disbelief. And you're in church this morning. 
good to be prepared now for those times when it isn't easy to sing songs of joy. The times will come when it is difficult to keep your spiritual pecker up. And here you find Job, and his feet are almost slipping, and so disappointed with people. But he's not only disappointed with people, he's disappointed with God himself, and he blames God squarely for the situation that he's in. One of the interesting things about the book of Job, that ancient book, is that it is Satan who afflicts Job with God's permission. It is Satan, but as you get away from the first couple of chapters, you actually find that Satan is never mentioned again. God is the one who gets the blame, and here you find that he's blaming God as well. He's very disappointed with God. As best I can remember, about three times people have come to me and they've been with their own words, disappointed with God. They've prayed and nothing happened. In each of those three cases, I've recommended a book by Philip Yancey called Disappointment with God. And in it, he deals with questions like, is God unfair? Is God silent? Is God hidden? And maybe you feel like that this morning. You would wonder, is God unfair? I understand that this kind of question is going to be tackled next weekend here. And is he silent? I mean, you pray, and you pray with a full heart, and you pray with faith, but it doesn't happen yet. Or is God hidden? You can't find him. And that's exactly the experience of the man Job. Yancey, in the book, makes this statement, and I think it's good for us to keep in mind. No matter how we rationalize, God will sometimes seem unfair from the perspective of a person trapped in time. Only at the end of time, after we have attained God's um, level of viewing, after every evil has been banished or forgiven, every illness healed and the entire universe restored, only then will fairness reign. And ladies and gentlemen, even the greatest heroes of the faith, the people you've read about since Sunday school, they were disappointed. Think of Naomi. Naomi, the name Naomi means pleasant. But she loses her husband and she loses her two sons. You may know the background of the story. Eventually, the famine that drove her from her home is over and she comes back to her hometown and she says, don't call me Naomi, pleasant. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has made me, made me life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Do you feel like Naomi this morning, or do you feel like Mara? And if you know the end of, end of the story, that doesn't end here. Another thing that I, I noticed when I was reading that book by Makeda, he makes a very good point that any point of time is just a fragment of your life. And what you're experiencing now is just a fragment of your life. And for Naomi, it was just a fragment of her life because it would get better. And we think of Jeremiah, and he says, I cry out, 
My splendor is gone. Everything I'd hoped for from the Lord is lost. That's Jeremiah. He's a prophet. He's written one of the longest books in the Old Testament. What's wrong? What's wrong with this world? Why doesn't life turn out exactly as he wanted? But that's how he felt. But even heroes of the faith, and we think, of course, of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Luke 22. Our Lord had predicted that Peter was going to deny him before the rooster crowed, and now we come to the situation where one of the people, a man, actually challenges Peter. And Peter says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, here's the man. The Bible says he actually swore. He used that salty language that he'd learned as a fisherman and denied his Lord with oaths and curses. And now, for the third time, he does it. And it says, and while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And there was a look of disappointment, and the next couple of verses say, And Peter remembered what the Lord had said. He went away weeping bitterly. And he saw the look of disappointment, disapproval and disappointment. Our Lord was disappointed in Peter. And of course, shortly we're going to remember our Lord with bread and the cup. It reminds us of the body and the blood of our Lord that was shed for you and for me. We're going to remember that, but there was a time when our Lord felt forsaken by God. We can put it this way. He felt disappointed with God, and he said about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That's Aramaic. Our Lord was brought up in Galilee, and the dominant language was Aramaic, a form of Hebrew. That was the language he learned as a little baby, as a little toddler. And he reverts to it and he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there on the cross, he felt forsaken by the one whom God called his shepherd, by the one who was with God from everlasting, the one who was God. But now, this man, with nails in his hands, nails in his feet, a crown, thrust, a crown of thorns, crushed on his head, and a spear wound in his side. He feels abandoned by God. And so as we look at Job, and it's reminded us of other parts of the Bible, you actually find that now we change things, and there's a turning point in the life and the attitude of this man Job. And you come to the fact, and this is the point that I want to make, that our faith can help us bounce back. We are here today and we have great big doctrines. I mean, our God is so big, we've been praising him this morning and in our hearts we've been worshipping him. Our God is so big, isn't he? And he's so mighty and he's so kind and he's so loving. It's our doctrines that we need to hold on to when we are disappointed and when things do seem to have gone wrong. But there we have these words, and Job now, he brings his faith into play. It's no longer just words, it's no longer just something that he talks about when he's with spiritual men and women. This is what he believes, and this is what he says, but as for me, 
I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last, and after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I'm overwhelmed at this thought. When you actually go to the Old Testament, you find that teaching about the future is quite obscure sometimes. You do actually find there are glimmers. There are glimmers of understanding that are revealed to us in the Old Testament. I've got a few down here. David just lost his little baby. The little baby has died. And he says, but now that he's dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Yeah, there's life beyond life. And I think of Psalm 17, as for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face when I awake. I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness and that psalm that you love, and I love, right at the end of Psalm 23, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord from time to time, or for a short time, I live in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that good? Doesn't it lift your heart? I mean, the problem that you're facing now, doesn't it seem to be paltry compared to the fact that you're going to be living in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. Yeah. Long time. But even so, in the Old Testament, the glimmerings are there, but there's not a full understanding. And you find that you come to the time of um, Paul, and he talks about that. But we're thinking now of those verses 25, 27, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. So Job is certain, I know that my Redeemer lives. Do you really know him? Paul later on says, I'm not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. I'm not ashamed, I know him. And here you find that it's so certain, I know that my Redeemer lives and it's inspirational and I cannot explain it theologically, but I will see God. Just think about that. You can, if you're a believer in Jesus, you can say, I will see God somehow in ways that I cannot yet understand or explain. I will see God and it's personal, I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. It's not just something that someone else will see. You, we will actually see him. You will see him. Not just the person beside you, but you will see him. And it's all inspiring. I'm over, over, overwhelmed with the thought. Again, words of St. Paul, and he says, God has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In other words, our Lord is saying it's through the gospel that we understand these things. And Jesus brought life and immortality to light. 
helped us to understand this. There's a Spanish writer called Carmen Corday. She's written a short story, and it talks about a woman, and she gave birth to a child who was born blind. And she didn't want her little boy to know that he was blind, and so anyone who came near, she said, there are certain words you must never use. You Don't ever talk about light. Don't ever talk about color. Don't ever talk about sight. And so the little boy grew up, and he didn't know about color and sight and these other forbidden words. And then one day a little girl jumped over the garden fence and started using all those wrong words, and he began to realize that he didn't understand it. It was all new. And when Jesus came, as it were, he was that girl who jumped over the fence and taught us about heaven and taught us about eternal life and taught us about all these wonderful things that we believe but sometimes live as though we don't. So very quickly, I mean, there's time. What can help us when we feel disappointed? And here are just a few things I'll go through very quickly. And the first is reset your focus because at the end of the day, people let us down. Even spiritual people let us down. That's just how it is. And see your disappointment is an opportunity to strengthen your faith. It's at times when you feel lowest that you can actually grow fastest. And you find in Romans chapter 5, it says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Who are the people who you consider to be the strongest in Jesus? They probably have been through deep waters. And it's at times like that that we call out to God and we say, God, help me, and he helps you. And then when the next trouble comes, you're better prepared, and the next problem comes and you're better prepared. That's what problems can do. They either make you bitter or they make you better. And appreciate your church and friends and you're surrounded today by some several hundred people. And there are lonely people in Cambridge, and nobody cares whether they live or die. They're just by themselves watching telly. But you're surrounded by friends, people who love you in the name of Jesus. Appreciate your friends. They're not perfect. And sometimes they will let you down, but love them. And look for a lesson. I'll leave that. Keep in mind that others see you as an example. And this is a verse that I find quite interesting. Well, I mean, there are a lot of other interesting, but you know what I mean. Relevant. I read this actually in my devotional reading this morning, but I had prepared this before then. Oh, by the way, I, full disclosure, uh, about three weeks ago, I'd been asked to write an article for a little magazine I called it disappointed. Jeremy heard about it, asked me if I'd speak on the same subject. So it's in this little magazine, it's now been printed, arrived in the letterbox yesterday. It's on the table if you want a printed version of what I've given, different, but more or less the same. You could find it there. But anyway, this is Hebrews chapter 12. And so he's talking to people who are tempted to drift away, to miss the step. 
So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fail but become strong. In other words, people are looking at you. They don't read their Bible, but they read you. And when you go through a hard time and you stand stand high and joyful for Jesus, that's the Bible they read. That's what inspires them. That's what makes the gospel attractive to them. And finally, keep alive your joy in Jesus. New Living Translation, Philippians 3. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Keep the joy bubbling along and happy. I never get tired of telling you these things, but I do it to safeguard your faith. In other words, keep alive your joy in Jesus and your faith will be strong. And even though you'll look at your footsteps and you'll make sure that you don't step, miss a step, you'll find that your faith will remain strong if you keep the joy alive. It's the best safeguard of our faith. We're now going to pray. We're going to respond to the call of the Spirit of God or the whisper of the Spirit of God as he's spoken to us through his word this morning. And then we're going to give thanks for the bread and for the wine. The reminders of the death of Jesus, reminders that he died for you and for me. But if this is what you feel, pray something like this. Lord, you know me through and through. You know the feelings I'm harboring right now. You know how I'm struggling with them. You just specify what it is. Please help me to live a life of joy and peace enabled by your indwelling Holy Spirit. And for those of you who love the Lord, for those of you who do claim Christ as your Lord and Savior, prepare your heart as you take the bread and you take the cup within a minute or so and just lift your heart to the Lord and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for smiling on me in grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the blood that was shed for me. Thank you for the body of Jesus that was broken for me. Thank you. Just make it personal, and then I will pray for the whole group. Let's all pray, just 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds, as we pour out our hearts to the Lord, making known to him the things that really worry us at the present time, but also the great joy that we have in taking these reminders of that body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed for us. Let's all 